And then he died. That's the name of the sermon. So we're going to start this way. So you're looking at the fifth chapter, but look back at the last two verses of the fourth chapter, and we'll start there to help us launch into the fifth chapter. So uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 25 and 26 reads this way, as you should be looking in your Bibles. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying... God has granted me another child in the place of Abel. Now, I'm going to stop there for a minute because it's been a while since I've been a couple of weeks since we studied this, and you may have forgotten. Uh, what she is saying here, in essence, is Abel, uh, Seth has replaced Abel. Uh, she's looking for uh, the one who's going to stop the head of the saint, uh, of the saint, of Satan, and uh, the head of Satan. And uh, in, a, in a sense, the Messiah. She doesn't really see it that way, but we understand that's what's going on in chapter 4 especially. And so she, she believes that Seth is the replacement of Abel in that way. So Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed Abel. And then it goes on to say, Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. And then it says, and this is really important, at that time people began to call on the name of the Lord. So there was worship. There was uh, a recognition of God. They understood what God expected of them in their lives at this point in time in the Genesis account of the beginning of, of creation and all of that. Now, the last time I taught this passage was in 2010, and when I started my study for it back then, I phoned Pastor Danny Hodges, he was the pastor of Calvary Chapel in St. Petersburg, Florida, and I asked him if he remembered the sermon he heard me teach. Now, think about this, this is 2010, and I phoned him up and said, Danny, do you remember the sermon that you heard me teach in 1992 when you visited the church. We were going to become a Calvary Chapel. We weren't one yet. And he was coming to check us out. And amazingly, he remembered me preaching on Genesis 5, but all he said to me on the phone was, I said, do you remember what I preached on? And he said, and then he died. He remembered what I preached on. And we're going to use those, that term, and then he died quite a few times in the next uh, half hour to 40 minutes. Uh, now, this passage brings us face to face with our past and our mortality and our temporality on this earth. I have never found the names of people in the Bible boring especially a list like this that can teach us so much. These are real people, just like you and me. Now, notice I use the word are, A-R-E. These uh, are, they are real people, and they are still living. Their parents named them names that often had significance, and God remembered them. In the Old Testament, human existence does not end with death. There's a place for the dead called Sheol, or in Greek language, Hades, where the dead go. Uh, Job talked about it this way in Job chapter 19, verse 25. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end He will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, now this is important, yet in my flesh I will see God. That's resurrection. I myself will see Him with my own eyes, I and not another, and then you can just almost feel it, how my heart yearns within me. So he's looking forward to that day when he'll be raised from the dead, where he'll uh, know what's going on in all of eternity. In Daniel chapter 12, Daniel's sort of a mirror of revelation, a revelation, a mirror of Daniel. You always should actually study them together. But Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 reads this way. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame 
an everlasting contempt. Now, the reason I talked about the revelation is that if you go to the end of the revelation, especially, you will see the event that Daniel is talking about. He's really talking about, without knowing that he is, he's talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the list of names here adds something to our knowledge of what God thinks of us. He calls us by name. Uh, we are known by God and remembered. Uh, Jesus added to this by letting us know that we can call God, who knows us, Father, and that he even knows the numbers of hairs on our heads, Jesus said. Now, we know that's a, a metaphor for something else. God knows everything. He can count the stars. I mean, he put them all there. Uh, we've spent a lot of time in the first uh, the, the five weeks up to studying Genesis verse by verse, uh, learning about all that God has done in evolution and all of that kind of stuff and where, that we really create it and, and everything like that. But uh, God has revealed himself to us uh, as Father. He's actually the Father of everyone, but especially what we care about most, the Father of the redeemed. Those, in our case, who have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament who had faith in God. Now, the best verses to go to in the New Testament to understand how special that is, right now, I think, are Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5. And the Apostle Paul writes these words, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord, whose name is Jesus and who is the Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, that's a big deal. We, as Christians, have every spiritual blessing that Christ had, especially when he came to this earth. Now, the reason is, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Now, here's what I want you to see. Before God even created the world, he had a plan. That's the whole idea of what is Ephesians is saying here. He had a plan, and his plan was very specific. And his plan is for those that were going to be the people on the earth, that's us. He chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. Here's, here's what his plan is. To be holy and blameless in his sight. The word holy, most of you know, means to be set apart for God's purposes. And blameless means in God's eyes, we're blameless. We're blameless. Our sin has been forgiven. And then it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Some people tie themselves in knots trying to understand. What do you mean he predestined us for adoption to sonship? What does that mean? It means that God chose you even before you were born. The Apostle Paul said, we just taught it just, I think, last weekend, uh, Sunday. Uh, he, he said, when I was born... God chose me for all this. Yet, would he, the way he lived his life in the first part, you would never imagine anything like that. And he still had to make a decision to follow Jesus after the experience on the road to Damascus. So, in love, he predestined each of us for adoptions to sonship, sonship through Jesus Christ. Now, that's the cross. I say this a lot when I'm preaching, but we never must get the cross out of our minds. In accordance with his pleasure and will. In other words, God is pleased with us and will lead us within his will. So we learn already that God is our Father. God wants to be our Father. And when we think about our responsibilities or predestination and all of this, think of it this way. Adam and Eve, they're the result of what I just read. God chose them. He did all of that stuff. And they disobeyed him. And the result of the disobedience was death, Otherwise, there wouldn't have been any death. And toil, they would be, in his case, Adams, he'd be like a farmer, and he would be sweating as he worked. But we all sweat as we work, just in different ways. And so this is a great picture right from the beginning in Genesis of what God thinks of us, what God's purpose is for us, and it should excite us to realize all of that because we can mix it up with the New Testament knowledge that we have and really see the reality of it.
Now, in Genesis 4, verse 25, that we just read, we saw that Seth was born. Now, we see what became of Seth. Actually, we, we see what became of Adam and his family tree. We are about to meet ten men who represent the line of Adam through Seth up to the flood that we'll study in chapter 6. These genealogies that are in the Bible, and we're going to now look at one, help us skip ahead a great deal of time from the creation to the flood, this particular genealogy. Then in chapter 11, we'll jump ahead again by looking at the genealogy of Shem to Abram, who became Abraham in the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. So Shem was actually one of Noah's sons. Shem, one of Noah's sons. Shem, Ham, what's the other one? Japheth. Yeah, and they weren't triplets. They were born at different times. Uh, now these genealogies are linear. All that means is that not everyone who is born is mentioned, but those mentions Mention do follow one another in time. And I'll talk about that a little later. So Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. This is the written account of Adam's line, or this is the book of Adam's line, or the scroll of Adam's line, or the written source of Adam's line. Actually, we've talked about this in some detail already in one of the sermons. It's the, the, the fancy word is teledoth. <laughs> And you may think, Teladoth, what does that mean? Ancestry.com. That's what this is. This is the, the book, the ancestry, the Teladoth of Adam. And Moses would have compiled Genesis by bringing together various written accounts of history, and this was one of them. The Bible is not less inspired because the author of a book uses others' quotes and accounts. Paul quoted from pagan authors and added to his writing some of the creeds of the early church. Uh, it's still inspired by God. He's the one that arranged for this to all be put together. Now let's go back to verse 1 again, uh, into verse 2. When God created mankind, human beings, He made them in the likeness of God. And He created them male and female and bless them. So He created us male and female, and we're made in His image. That's a powerful thing to know that you're made in the image of God. And if somebody were to say, well, does that mean we look like God? It, we look like God in our actions, yes. We're godly. We, we obey Him, and we have godly habits, and, and we do things in a godly way. Uh, that's what it means to be made in the image of God. We're able to do what God wants us to do. And then he named them, or us, mankind. Now the word mankind in the Hebrew is the word Adam. So it actually says, and he named them Adam, when they, plural, were created. So the word for man here is the word Adam, and Adam was the name of the first man also, but the word Adam can simply mean human being, and he made a point that Adam, the human beings, were both male and female. Together they completed one another, and it has within its meaning, of course, the image of God. So Adam and Eve were both Adam. They were both mankind, if you want to call it that, or humankind is what we say today, and were both made male and female in the image of God. Now the point is that we are reading about what became of the line of Adam, the man, Adam and Eve's children also. It's a picture of marriage, and we've already talked about that in a previous sermon, and procreation within marriage. An opening question would be the long lives these people lived. In extra-biblical literature, there are lists of kings that supposedly lived before the flood and had very long lives. That One king, as a matter of fact, a lot more than one, but one particular king lived, according to that, those scrolls, 36,000 years. Now, I don't believe the 36,000 figure, but I do believe the biblical record here is accurate. 
The length of lives is another picture of sin's impact on the earth as the years of life become less and less over time. Today, some are obsessed with how to lengthen their lives. But in actual fact, we're living much shorter lives than God originally intended for us. And trust me, no matter how well we eat or how vigorous we exercise, we will all die. <laughs> and we're not going to be living for uh, 900 or 1,000 years on this planet until there's a new heavens and a new earth. That's in the Revelation. And we'll see, we'll, we'll learn about that eventually. I'm going to, especially over the next year, going to put a lot of the revelation into the teaching. Nevertheless, since our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, our present bodies, we learned that last Sunday. So our present bodies are te temples of the Holy Spirit. It therefore makes sense to take very good care of the temple that God has given each of us. That's good stewardship. Now look at verse 3, 4, 5. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness. Now, just worth talking about for a moment, our children are like us. That's the idea. As a matter of fact, I was just thinking about this. We have so many little children in the church now, and families with very small children. And uh, there's uh, the families that have especially multiple two or three kids. Uh, I've heard this discussion, I've done it myself, where I said, okay, what's he like, mom or dad? Oh, no, he's, he's just like his mom. What's she like, mom or dad? Oh, she's just like her dad. But we're all like each other in that sense. So Adam lived 130 years, and he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named that son Seth. Now, the word Seth means appointed. Seth was appointed. Uh, if you knew the names, every name, I'm not going to tell you that what every single name means, but they all point to God's plan, to, to, to God being in charge. He, he never, he never, at no point does God ever been like wound up something and just wait to see how it turns out. He's in charge of everything. And he allows some things and he makes other things happen. And, and we, we must know his character or that'll even scare us. Shouldn't scare us because we know the character of God and we'll really learn a lot as we go through the Old Testament again. So he named him Seth. And after Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Adam lived 930 years. Okay, now we have to do this together. You ready? And then he died. Well, that's not bad, but we'll have other choices at times. Notice that Cain is not mentioned here. The line of Cain is irrelevant when it comes to the history of salvation. Uh, verses 6, 7, and 8. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Seth lived 912 years. Okay, you ready? And then he died. Now, it's instructive to see that the sentence of death given to Adam and Eve is inherited by their children. It should also be noted that the sons and daughters also live long lives, and therefore the population of the earth would have grown exponentially over their lifetimes. I did a lot of reading about this, and I'm not going to bore you with all the reading, but uh, one writer has this all figured out in such a way, he sort, of, he sort of supposes less than you would expect of ages and everything, and he says that it was at least possible that uh, Adam... Uh, would have uh, known a million of his ancestors. That's, that's just hard to believe. Most of us are amazed when we hear a family that has a family reunion, they have like 50 people in it. Wow, or 40 even, or 30, you know. Uh, but one of the problems around the world today is the declining birth rate. This is a real problem today. Um, I read a long article about this, and then I told Valerie about it. I was depressed when I read it, then I told Valerie about it, and then she was depressed. Uh, it really was a depressing article to read. I knew about it. I knew that a lot of places weren't replacing their birth, their death rate. I knew that. 
I had no idea how strong it was. And I'm not going to tell you all of the details, but I'll tell you that Japan, China, Italy, at the present rate, Italy won't even exist 50 years from now. And uh, I won't be here, so it's okay. No, it isn't. But it won't. And then that's just a fact. It's a sad fact. Russia is just diving. Unbelievable how fast the population is disappearing. And America, uh, notably, uh, in our birth rate in America no longer replaces the population. No longer replaces it. And that's the case for many other countries worldwide. One exception is India isn't, but China's losing it too. Everybody is. It's amazing that we're not even... It, it, there's so many ramifications. I don't want to go into all of them, but it means that there'll be less and less younger people to take care of the older people. And uh, older people, at least for most of the world right now, the health systems are such we're living a little bit longer than normal. Uh, and whatever assistant we get, Social Security or hospitalizations, all of those things, need somebody that's working, paying taxes and doing that. And that's going to become less very fast. That's why in Canada, they 5% of the population in Canada that dies now is because of MAID. You've probably never heard of MAID. It's a medical, I can't remember one, assisted suicide. And the government helps people have a nice peaceful death, and it saves them a fortune. Uh, so, uh, but God's still in charge, and He knows that. And it's my hope, at least, anyhow, that uh, we'll hear the trumpet sound and the angels shout uh, soon enough that it won't really affect us, but it will affect us over even 10, 15 years from now. So, back to verse 9, now that we're depressed. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived 905 years, here we go, and then he died. Now the name Enosh literally means frail man, frail man. And we're all frail men, we're all dust people. <laughs> Uh, look at verse 12. When Canaan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. And after he became the father of Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Canaan lived 910 years, and then he died. Now, when Mahalalel, now this is an interesting name. El means God at the end of it. The word Mahalalel means to praise God. That's what the word means. So when Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. And after he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Mahalalel lived 895 years and then he died. Now, Mahalalel was the first man to live less than 900 years. Now look at verse 18. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enid, Enoch, Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Jared lived 962 years, and then he died. So Jared had the second longest lifespan in recorded history. Now look at verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, this is really interesting, he became the father of Methuselah. And after, that's the key word here, and after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Now just think about that for a minute. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God. 300 years and other sons and daughters. Now, uh, this is really interesting in all kinds of ways. First, it is not uncommon for someone who's not all that excited about life to change completely when they have their first child in a marriage. That's not uncommon. Uh, it, of course, it does change your life to have children. 
So young people that are newly married, when, uh, when if any is li- or any are listening or any are here, when you have your first child, you're now you're now kidnapped by your kids, <laughs> like it or not, and your life's going to change completely. But it usually changes for the better. That's one of the things that was so sad in the long article I read about the birth rate is that now there's generations growing up where the majority don't have kids, and they have no experience of. Uh, of having to raise kids, and it's, it's really sad what it takes away from our lives. So after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters, but the word Methuselah is very interesting. It actually means, and I spent some time just checking this out to make sure I was right, it actually means when he dies it will come. So that's what Methuselah means. When he dies, it will come. Well, what will come? The flood will come. You'll see it in a minute. And so somehow God communicated to Enoch this fact, and it changed his life. So after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully of God 300 years and had other sons and daughters because the name of his son was Methuselah and something was going to happen hundreds of years from then when Methuselah died, then it will come. And we'll see that in Old and New Testament in a minute. So Enoch lived a total of 365 years. And then it tells us again, Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. He was raptured. (laughs) Now the word here for walk faithfully with God, it's just one word, was the same word describing how God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. So it's a word of intimacy, intimacy. There were only two people in the Bible who never died, Enoch and Elijah, and both were raptured. Enoch's life is a great example to us of what it meant to, in the Old Testament to have a relationship with God. There's a lie that characterizes the Old Testament patriarchs as fierce legalists that kept all the rules because they were afraid of God, this angry God. And that has never been a picture of God's way of wanting to relate to us, not ever. Adam, before the fall, and Eve had an intimate relationship with God. Enoch also, and Noah, and Abraham, and Jacob, and Jeremiah, and Job, they all had an intimacy with God. This is not just a New Testament thing. It has always been God's desire to relate to us intimately. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Abraham walked with God. Isaac walked with God. And when you walk with someone, there's an intimacy, a side-by-side company, an agreement together, both going in the same direction. It doesn't just mean that you went for a walk because you exercised and a friend walked along with you because you'd agreed on the route. No, it's talking about the relationship of the people that are walking together. Amos chapter uh, 3, verse 3 says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? And it's just not talking about going out walking and somebody else walking beside you. It means your whole purpose in life, you've got two people, they have the same purpose in life, and they want to be together in that purpose and support one another in that uh, kind of a purpose in life. So walking with God means I am in agreement with God and with His will for my life. In the Old Testament Scripture, to walk with God represented life, And prosperity. Two are better than one. Three is an unbroken cord. Walking with God was an act of faith. Faith. Oh, that word is so important. That's how you were saved in the Old Testament, by faith. Enoch was a man of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, verse 5, the definition of faith. If there's any place in Hebrews you want to memorize something, this is it. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life that he did not experience death. 
He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. One who pleased God. And yes, Noah is next on the list in Hebrews 11. So if you're going down Hebrews 11, you see Enosh. And if we're studying chapter 5, then the next chapter is Noah in chapter 6. But it's interesting that in the New Testament, uh, the Bible was the Septuagint. The Apostle Paul read from the, he read the Hebrew Scriptures, but he also read, uh, not just in Hebrew or Aramaic, but he also read the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And in the Greek translation, the Septuagint, it says that Enoch pleased God. Please God. To walk with God is to please God. Now, this is very significant because Adam was told that if he ate from the tree of good and evil, he would die, and he did. But here we have a purposeful exception. There was enough information in the religious system of the day to inform everyone how to please God. Abel pleased God. Cain did not please God. Abel knew how to please God. Cain knew how to please God. Enoch pleased God, and he didn't die. It's also significant to realize that Enoch did not have a Bible, and the Ten Commandments had not been given, and he did not keep the law, and he loved God of all of his heart by faith. Now, Enoch lived by faith. Now, here's, I said it wrong before about memory. This is the one you memorize. Enoch lived by faith. Hebrews 11, 1 and 6 tell you what faith is. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's faith. Being sure of what we hope for. Absolutely positive. We don't have a, oh, I hope so faith. We're sure of what we hope for, and we're certain of what we do not see. None of us see God, but we're certain that God exists, that He loves us, that He sent Jesus, all of these things. And then it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Why? Because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists. And this is the important part, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If you earnestly seek God, he'll answer your seeking. He always answers our prayers. Fortunately, he answers our prayers better than we asked him. Sometimes it takes us a while to realize the truth of that, but it's always true. And God always rewards those who earnestly seek after Him with all of their heart. He always rewards us. It's never a waste of time to pray. God is always pleased with those who believe and live by His Word. Now, Enoch also told others about what he believed. And in the New Testament book of Jude, that's the book just before the Revelation, and it's sort of tied to the Revelation, and it's also tied uh, to the era of the flood. So in Jude uh, 14, 15, and 16, we read this, Enoch, so we're in the New Testament now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam. I, I do need to stop just to say this. Enoch was the seventh from Adam. What, that, what that does tell us about the genealogy is that it's a real genealogy, and uh, the, these people lived in sequence like that, and Enoch was the seventh from Adam, and so you, can, you can't know for sure exactly how old the earth is, but it isn't 50 million years old or a billion years old or anything like that. Uh, you can, it's probably somewhere around 6 to 10 million years old. And it's, for some of you, that'll sound, that's kind of, that's not much time. Because if you watch media or read as many books as I do, uh, I just was, I've shared of a couple of people tonight, uh, earlier I'm reading a book about sleep. <clears throat> and uh, uh, the, the brilliant writer, the book's really helpful, but the brilliant doctor who wrote it, and I'm learning all of this stuff about the brain and everything, and then he tells me at one point that we have, we, sleep started about 50 million years ago. Before that, we couldn't sleep because we had to worry about predators. 
And I just shake my head and say, well, I thank you for what I'm learning from you, but this is crazy. Enoch was the seventh from Adam. And he prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of His holy ones to judge everyone. This is a picture of what the revelation has to stay near the, near the end of the revelation. So it's, that's what it's a picture of first off. So He's coming with thousands upon thousands of His holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. So that's in Jude, just before the revelation. So this is first of all a warning about the judgment that is to come when Jesus returns. And it's very clear. You can just read ahead and near the end of the Revelation, you can see exactly the result of what he says. But when Enoch originally prophesied, it was about the evil generation in which he then lived. And it was a warning about the coming judgment of the flood. So they were looking forward to the, not, well, looking forward to the flood, to the judgment. We're looking forward to the second coming, to the judgment. Enoch prophesied. Noah prophesied. Everyone has all the information they need to please God. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. You know, if someone came up to me and said, and I've had this happen a number, quite a number of times over the decades now, and said, if I were going to just master one book in the Bible, what book would it be? Well, I always ask them some questions. I want to know how much of the Bible they've read. If they've read all the Gospels, for instance, uh, and uh, a good part of the rest of the New Testament, I always say, Romans. Learn everything you can about Romans. Memorize every part of it. You can't memorize it. If you understand the Gospel out of the Gospels, Romans is the best book that you can ever get to understand almost anything you could imagine about the Christian life. It just puts light, a light on every question you could ever wonder. But it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, here they are, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Everywhere on the planet, people can look up and see that there's stars, there's moon, there's planets, all of that. They can look around, as we learned in the first five weeks before. We can look around at what we know about all of the creation and the plants and animals. And today, we can look even inwardly and at things like DNA and blood samples and all of these kinds of things, and you just you have no excuse. There had to be someone who put them there. There had to be what they call the first cause. And you can't get away from that no matter how hard you try. So the design of the universe, the design of the heavens alone, let us know there's no excuse not to worship God. Instead, people worship stars and planets and all kinds of other things. But no, somebody put the stars and planets there, and that's who we're to worship. The design of our text tells us that God is working out His plan even though few there are who accept His offer of life. But there is always a remnant. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, there is always a remnant. Now look at verse 25. When Methuselah, you remember that's to worship God, the name. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Methuselah lived 969 years, and then he died. The year Methuselah died, now listen to this, this is really amazing. The year Methuselah died was the year the flood came, just as his name had predicted. It was predicted by God through Enoch. The flood came, and Jesus is coming again. You know, I love reading about 
the second coming and the rapture and all of this kind of stuff. There's a way more scripture about the second coming than there ever was about the first coming. And there's a lot of scripture about the first coming. And so there's, it seems that God has always made it so that there was an event in front of us that we're living for, in a sense. So Enoch were preaching and telling the people what was wrong. Noah was a preacher of righteousness and warning the people for 120 years. They had no excuse whatever to not be ready for what was going to happen. But the flood came because of the wickedness of the people on the earth who were ignoring God and His wonderful creation. Now look at verse 28. Verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. And he named him Noah and said, he will comfort us. That's the important word here. He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands because our hands cursed by the ground the Lord has cursed. So he will comfort us, Noah, will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands Caused by the ground, the Lord is cursed. I need to learn how to read. The word comfort could be translated rest. Uh, something we talked about often in our study. Uh, as a matter of fact, we talked about it when the seventh day of creation, God rested. And we talked about the fact that we're to live a restful life. A life of hope. That's what the conference in January that I hope everyone goes to is about. It's about hope. We can't live without hope. And it's not we hope so hope, but it's hope certain hope, revival hope, rapture hope. That's what we're living for. And I know things in our world right now are pretty depressing. I try not to watch too much news, but in some ways it's sort of like when I'm on my bike and I see red lights and everything and, and fire trucks, you, what do I, I speed up to see what's happening. It's, it's hard not to look at a, a wreck. And there's a wreck coming. And it's hard not sometimes to look at what's happening. And then and we just shake our heads because we know God. And how can people act like this? How can This is just unbelievable how this can happen. Uh, but we, there is going to be a time when things change. And here's something that really captured my imagination. I had actually never heard this before, but I've, changed, uh, I've talked to three different people about it. The first one was Valerie, and she had thought about it, but I never had. Uh, I put up on my Facebook page a Greg Laurie uh, devotional, as usual, today. I put one up every day. And he asked the question, why is America not in the picture anymore, according to the Bible, in all of the end time stuff that's going to happen? Why isn't it there? And he had three reasons. But the first reason was, which kind of makes some sense, even though he doesn't agree, believe it's going to happen. Uh, one reason could be, there are so many uh, nuclear weapons on the planet, and so many countries that have them, that... Uh, uh, that it would be easy to eliminate the United States in one big attack, and then just be gone. And, and he even says, that's not what I think is going to happen. But he says, I think what's going to happen is revival. That's why the United States is not in the end time stuff. And then he explains it a little bit. And I've spent a lot of time studying the 1700s. Uh, as a matter of fact, I preached about the 1700s probably for the first two years of our church so long ago. Over and over again, I read all of the theologians and all of the things that happened in America in the 1700s. In the 1700s, the revival of Christianity was so strong that almost everybody in America at that time, almost everybody in America at that time went to church every Sunday because of the revival. They canceled sports every place because no, there was nobody to come and watch them or to participate in them on Sunday. So they had to have another time. And uh, almost everybody went to church. One reason they went to begin with was that it was good for business to go to church. But everybody was basically religious. But not everybody was a saved Christian. 
And then the revival started, and people got saved and by the thousands upon thousands and huge outdoor uh, meetings with 30,000, 40,000 people, literally outdoors in fields as preachers like Whitfield and Wesley and others who have booming voices could be heard uh, uh, even at the ends of these crowds. And all of these people are becoming Christians. And Greg Glory suggests, what if we had a revival now? What if America had a big revival? It could start with you. It just takes one person to start it. It's like setting something on fire. It's first it's a little match, and then it turns into a big blaze. And what if our church was the beginning of the revival, and then all of the other churches started to come in, and then it went around the world? But what if in America, millions and millions and millions of people uh, started, uh, got saved, and went out telling everybody else about it, and the majority of Americans became Christians, like was the case in the 1700s, and then the rapture happened. That would be the end of the country. And so that's what I'm praying for. And the date of the rapture, if you'll ask me later, I'll give you the exact day, but I don't <laughs> We don't know. I wish we did. But I have to say that, uh, and I've, I've always... I've always kind of stayed away from saying even this much, but I have to say, I'm looking up every day. I just can't believe what's happening. I, I, it could happen at any time. There's nothing to stop the trumpet sounding and the angel shouting and the dead in Christ arise first and those who are alive and remain to be caught up together with them in the air. And then we're to encourage one another uh, with that reality. So... Let me go back to where I was at. That, that, I got all off track there. The word for comfort here, that Noah, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. The word for comfort could be translated rest. And, uh, uh, and it is significant that the word for comfort or relief or rest sounds like the Hebrew word for Noah. It's pronounced almost exactly the same way. Uh, so we have a purposeful play on words here. We're to be a people of rest, a people of a great expectation, in our case, that the Messiah is coming. And then Lamech was yearning for rest in what we just read from the toil of the curse. He was yearning for rest. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, I think of the millennium, I think of being with Jesus. Oh, that'll be so amazing. So clearly, Lamech was a godly man who knew the Word of God, and he believed it. He believed it. Now, you know this scripture because we studied it thoroughly. Genesis 3.17. To Adam he said, God said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. So Eve, uh, that's how I started, thought Abel would accomplish that rest. And then she thought Seth would be the one. But now Lamech hopes that Noah will be the deliverer from the curse, sort of the John 3.16 of his day. Genesis 3.15, we studied that in detail. And God says, I will put enmity between you... It actually reads literally, your seed and the seed of the woman and between your offspring and hers. He's talking to Satan. And he, the offspring of the woman, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And we know that that's talking about Jesus. You see, the seed was not Abel. He was murdered. It was not Cain. His line is eliminated from the Messianic hope. And it was not Seth. But he is in the right line, and Noah was not the ultimate seed of the woman. Jesus is the seed, the only one who is God, whose life, death, resurrection delivers us from the curse. The theme of birth as salvation is very important throughout the whole Bible. Eve rejoiced at Abel's birth, and then again at Seth's birth. And here Lamech rejoices at Noah's birth, in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah describes the virgin birth in chapter 7 of that great book, that great prophecy. But it is the birth of Jesus that really counts, Christmas time, in all this. And that is what Genesis 3.15 is about. Jesus, eternal, sinless, God incarnate, fully human, and fully God. Now look at verse 13, 31, 32. After Noah was born... Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, 
Lamech lived 777 years, and then he died. And after Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But that's another story. Noah becomes the next Adam, so to speak, the beginning of the human race all over again. Enoch lived a life that was only one-third the length of the average life in our genealogy, but his is the only life described with the words, he walked with God. He pleased God. And I would rather only live for 30 years walking with God than 90 years for myself. So it's a good question to make us think. Does your life please God? I mean, that's an important question. And we all know the answer. Does your life please God? What kind of legacy will you leave when you die? Would anyone say of your life that he or she reminded me of God? When Harry had lived 50 years, he became the father of Carl. And after he became the father of Carl, Harry lived 22 years and had no other sons or daughters. Altogether, Harry lived 72 years, and then he died. When Carl had lived 28 years, he became the father of Scott. And after he became the father of Scott, Carl lived years and had no other sons or daughters. And altogether, Carl lived, and then he died. Carl Allen Dixon, 1947 to 20, question mark, question mark. Pascal said that he was going to, he, he'd put this together for me, that he was going to put 202, question mark. <laughs> yeah, I hope he's not a prophet. At any rate, and it is my hope that at my memorial service, um, something would be said like Carl walked with God, or he reminded us of Jesus. That should be all of our hope. Death reigns over the whole human race because we're all born sinners. But at the same time, we're all born in the image of God and are able to walk with God in obedience and devotion while experiencing the blessing of God in our lives as we wait for Jesus to come. So let's pray. Uh, Father, help all of us be men and women who walk with God, who please you, Father. And Father, I'm so thankful that the Scriptures tell us that to obey your Word is not burdensome, that it is possible, and that it is even possible to live lives full of joy regardless of the circumstances, good or bad or whatever, that are part of our lives. And so help us to learn from your word, to be excited from your word. If you can arrange it so that on the day someone dies, a flood like the flood happened on that very day, we already know you've arranged it so there's going to be a day when the trumpet sounds and the angel shouts. There's going to be a day of the second coming of Jesus Christ that you've already prearranged. You just hadn't let us know when it is, but you've told us in the meantime to live in light of the reality of the return of Jesus Christ, and then we'll live pure lives, and then we're to tell as many as possible possible about the good news about Jesus, about the fact that you're our Father, and about the Holy Spirit who lives in us and fills us and encourages us and helps us to live all out for Jesus until we die, and then we're living in heaven forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship. <laughs> 